Hello, Anitrenders, and welcome back to the weekly podcast here on Anime Trending's podcast live on Spotify, Google Music, and soon Apple Podcasts, TM. Today, we'll be talking about Japan since 2020, and before we talk into that, uh, I'm your host, Noobles, and here I'm joined with, let's go with Gracie. Oh, hey guys, nice nice to talk to you guys again. Um, I'm back for this episode. <laughs> and we have a new host today. Uh, Nick, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nick. I usually go by Nico, or Nick, or Nicholas, or whatever my first teacher called me, and I was never, never, uh, I guess, less awkward to correct that so now i just go by whatever it says on the screen i'm going by nico today and it's a pleasure to have him here as first time here long time lurker i'm really excited nick also does a lot of our editorial stuff writing content that we have available as well as some of our content coverage and our last host tonight is hi i'm agnes agnes and iniqui i am the one of the editors for anime trending and i'm really excited to join you guys today for japan sinks 2020 mm-hmm. and yes we'll be talking about japan sinks 2020 which just came out on netflix all episodes are available just a few weeks ago and for those who are not familiar with japan sinks 2020 rest assured we'll be spending the first half or so of the podcast talking about the basic stuff and then we'll be diving into some of the spoiler stuff such as uh things that happen now, for those not familiar with Japan Six 2020, it is essentially an anime adaptation by animation studio Science Saru and directed by Masaki Iwasa and Pyongyong Gangho. Uh, Masaki Iwasa is mainly the series director, I believe, which was the change they had. And this show is interesting um, because it's based off a disaster novel uh, written uh, from Japan that's been around for quite, quite a while now, I think since 1973. And it kind of deals with well, Japan having to deal with natural disasters and whatnot. And in this story, essentially, in the anime adaptation, essentially we have Japan sink after a giant earthquake, as evident in the story. Which is funny because this takes place after the 2020 Olympics, I believe, in the anime. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, host, other hosts, because I actually have only watched the first few episodes while the rest of them have either made it halfway through or finished. Yeah, it's it's after the 2020 Olympics is when everything just sinks. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed that doesn't happen to Japan in the next few months. I hope we didn't jinx it. Um, even if you're not into like post-apocalyptic, uh, yeah, yeah, post-apocalyptic is post-disaster style uh, shows. Sainsaru has done a lot of work. Masaki wants to direct a lot of content. As such as uh, Keep Your Hands Up, Azoken, um, Ping Pong the Animation, Devilman Crybaby, as well as uh, a ton of other shows that Masaki Was himself has worked on. Um, Tatami Galaxy is another one. And the music is by the wonderful composer Kensuke Ushio, who we had an AMA on our Discord, so uh, we have some of the questions and answers that he's published. He's worked on soundtracks for A Silent Voice. Um, was a part of the big cast for Space Dandy. He too also uh, worked on Devilman Crybaby for the soundtrack, Listen to Bluebird, and just many, many more other anime. Um, host, uh, you got a lot of themes to talk about. Uh, could we get a brief overview of some of the themes that you guys have kind of highlighted in the show? Um, yeah, let's get right into it. So, um, on the service, I mean, you have. Um, Japan Sinks is basically the natural disaster show. I mean, you're seeing all the aspects of society breaking down. Um, but even more than that, it's almost like when you're watching the show, um, 
there's almost an element of uh, how do I describe? Oh God, shoot! I'm gonna have to okay. try this again. Tri- Gone body. Um, That's fine. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Um, yeah. So with the current with Japan sinks 2020, um, you kind of get two different elements sinking. So you having you have um, the entire society sinking, like physically, like you're seeing earthquakes, tsunamis, everything kind of destroying all the buildings and whatnot. Um, but you're also seeing um, essentially the destruction of some of the really um, fabrics of what you would define like Japanese society itself. Um, one of the most important things I think looking for this show um, is actually just the casting of the family members. Um, you basically start out where um, only the dad is basically pure-blooded Japanese. Uh, the main two children are half Filipinos and their mother is full Filipino. Um, and some of the other elements that they're experiencing, in addition to just the fact that the natural disaster is going in, um, a lot of the themes actually deal with this pushback with um, the family system that was previously under the EA system is kind of getting challenged in a lot of ways where um, at the end of the show or any other spot, um, there's constant back and forth between what is Japanese society and what isn't based on essentially like they start getting more friends along their way. Um, so there's challenges whether or not it's blood related. Um, and also the fact that like, um, I think it's just a really big deal. The fact that the leads are uh, essentially because they're half. half right? Yeah. Um, and it's actually so interesting when the fact that like with the Olympics lead up um, because of how the show ends up building towards um, its overall themes, like, it's kind of hard watching Japan Sinks 2020 and thinking, oh, this show was intending to uh, be shown before the 2020 the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, right? like because both yeah. in the show, the Olympics have already happened. But for us as the viewer, it's like you're essentially seeing um, all of the um, elements of what makes Japan Japan. Um, and it, it constantly challenges um, some of those elements within some of the character interactions. Um, I think in some parts of the show, you have groups that feel like only Japan is meant for just the pure-blooded Japanese. Um, they actually play they play a pretty decent role within the later half of the show. Um, as well as part of the, um, the cult, which basically accepts everybody. Gracie, uh, you've talked with a lot of people who are from Japan and just kind of the struggles and whatnot. What, what are your t- what's your take on this show? So, like um, basic theme wise, it's interesting where uh, Miko has gotten the idea of family themes or like Japan physically sinking as well as like its society slash culture is disappearing essentially. Um, because Japan is very, very rigid about their idea of a perfect family or, like, what a family unit should look like. Um, I know for a fact that single mothers get, um, quite a bit of slack, pure-blooded Japanese or not, if they're single and having to take care of kids. Um, but, um, which we've actually discussed or we touched on, for our episode with Kakushiko To, who is a single father raising a daughter. But, um, but I certainly think it was very clever and also very poignant of the series to make the family mixed race while being 
to anyone from the outside, I think, especially from someone in the U.S. who is, um, in my opinion, much, much more used to uh, mixed ethnicity families. Like, you see that family and you're like, oh, this is a, this is a family, you know? Like, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not actually unusual at all, aside from the situation, which is post-apocalyptic, but... Um, but it's because I'm, I'm used to that, that it never really occurred to me until later to be like, oh, this is actually outside of Japanese culture and it's outside of usual portrayals of like a full family unit of moms and dads, but they're mixed, they're mixed ethnicities. So, um, so I, I definitely think the choice was, um, the choice was interesting. Though it's actually Agnes who pointed something out interesting to me before when we would do our private chats. Like, Agnes, you said how you thought it was interesting the two kids represent, like, two extremes of the views of Japan. Like, the traditional versus the, um, like, the much more, like, ex exploration sort of thing. Mm, yeah, so the two siblings within Japan Sinks 2020 represents two sides of the Japanese spectrum. One is still very adherent, not quite xenophobic, but still very prideful of the Japanese heritage that they have and the way that they do things. But the younger brother is somebody who readily embraces the internet culture and readily embraces English, talking to people who are non-Japanese, and actively getting outside news and help rather than relying on the Japanese government. And this kind of dualism continues to play throughout the rest of Japan 6 2020, where you meet a variety of people who are perhaps more modern than you are, and people who perhaps are more traditional and refuse to give up their Japanese values even if their life is at stake. So with this catastrophe, it challenges both the nationalistic side of Japan, how far can your pride take you, and how much do you need to adjust yourself in a catastrophe, and the importance of diversity within the Japanese diaspora, regardless if you are Hafu or if you are somebody who is currently living in Japan but is not ethnically Japanese. So what's it's very fascinating to see that too. And the two siblings we're talking about is Ayumu and Mari, or is it Go? I forgot. Go already. is the younger brother. Go is the younger. The younger brother, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so something I'm curious about, and I just want to hear your thoughts on it, is um, this is an adaptation of uh, a much older novel. Like back 1970s is like, oh gosh, like that's like 50 the, years, half a century. Half a century. It's like the height <laughs> of it's like the height of Japanese economy at that point. Yeah, yes. During and so the with economic that miracle. context in mind. Do you think this family theme in regards to, you know, traditional versus the new and then actually using a mixed ethnic family to represent that sort of push and pull on, on like how it works in, in a post-apocalyptic situation, do you think it was included in the original novel or do you actually think this was something added in particularly for to adapt to the actual 2020 idea since you know obviously the novel would not have had like youtube or you know right um, mm -hmm. those other live streaming <laughs> in terms of having the half filipino cast i think is something that's still relevant both in the 1970s and the two uh, 2020 i feel like it's even more hotly contested back in the 1970s because after World War II, there was a huge U.S. occupation in Japan, and there would have been a lot of 
influences from people who were living like in the Philippines who are also under U.S. jurisdiction. And the fact that there is the invader type of mentality coming into Japan would have sparked more animosity between the Japanese and the Filipinos and the Amer- and the Americans that are associated with anybody who's outside of Japan. So I think having the the matron of the family, I don't remember her name correctly, the the mother of the family being Filipino and her kids being half Filipino really puts them in a tight spot of are they Japanese? Can they also identify as Japanese and be proud of how they're surviving? in Japan during this apocalypse, or are they completely outsiders? Um, I feel like it's a little bit less relevant in 2020 just because there is a growing inclusion. But at the same time, it's still quite relevant because the Hafu, um, the Hafu population and even people who have joined Japanese citizenship from other countries is still quite very low. There are a lot of Japanese conservative parties that continue to rally against having more foreigners, even though Japan is suffering from um, uh, a population boon. So So it definitely plays on both sides. Okay, so basically you think that it was likely part of the novel and it's... um, I think so, yeah. Cool. What about you, Nico? What do you think? I, I guess one difference with the novel, it's almost like from the 70s, the source of essentially the foreign culture would be a singular source, i.e. basically the U.S. and the West building up. But now, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is that Go's friends are from Estonia, um, right. Eastern yeah. European country that that wouldn't necessarily have been part of the... I have to look it up on the map, actually. Um, I don't think... <laughs> no, no, you're right. Was you're it, right. Was it, it was part of the Iron right. Curtain, right? Because like, at that point, it's like... Not only is it a completely different element from the West, but it's like with the advent of the internet, it's like now um, Japanese culture is now taking in everything else from the internet too. So it's it's not just like one singular source. You're getting it from all over the place. Um, right. Yeah. So which is nice is because uh, it kind of plays in with the theme of it's relevant regardless, but it's coming from multiple different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so awesome. I honestly had sure. no idea because yes. I was like, oh, this is based on 1973 novel and I definitely have not read that novel. So a lot of it, I was like, I can't tell if it was just adaptation or if it was actually relevant to the source material itself. So it's really interesting. <laughs> I'd like to think that it's relevant and it was included, but it could also be a very creative part on uh uh, Yuasa's part because he is known to include a lot of diversity within many of the shows that he works on uh, he really when it does. comes to character mm-hmm. design when it comes to character ethnicity and identity which is quite nice because it kind of encompasses the whole anime community that it's just not one particular race but it's mm-hmm. many people across the globe so it could be both at the end of the day it's with both- that in mind yeah. too for Science Saru uh fun insights too with anime trending science saru is a very multinational uh, team uh union Choi, who's now the ceo and co-founder uh, after misaki wasa s- stepped down is korean and a lot of their animators are from latin america europe and different parts of the world side by side with a lot of japanese uh influencers uh, sorry a- animators and influencers so it's really fascinating to see that so it's likely there's there's that kind of elements too based on the people who made the show as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Uh, with that in mind, um, let's definitely dive into more about the different themes and feel free to go free about the story now too. So this will be the end of the spoiler-free section. So if you haven't watched up to like half of the show, episode five or six, so do be one, we'll be diving into some of the spoilers. And with that in mind, uh, any final comments before we do that? Nope, nope, I'm ready me. to go to spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So if you haven't watched the show, do check it out. It definitely dives into a lot of themes and concepts as well, too. But as we'll dive into the spoiler section, it definitely, execution-wise, could be improved on. And you'll see what we mean when you watch it. But yes, let's go to spoilers. Uh, what do you want to start with? Because, man, there's a lot to unpack from Japan Sings 2020. Let's, let's go step by step from the progression of... The Japan sinks up until episodes five through six. That, uh, that, that, that limit is for me, by the way. For anyone who's wondering why we're not discussing the whole thing, I have left the binge life a long time ago, so I am watching these episodes weekly now. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're watching weekly as well, congratulations! This is your podcast. <laughs> but yeah, from the beginning, we dive into essentially what's the post-2020 Olympics. Uh, a, you know, earthquake happens, tsunami hits, and then uh, the family having... To, it's the it's the post-event of what happens. And I don't... Yeah, of all of us... I actually know Gracie's. Gracie's not in California, so she's not used to earthquakes and whatnot. But, um, I mean, the rest of the area that she lives in does have other natural disasters. So I think we can still, still relate to how scary being in a catastrophe is in general. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to dismiss the region that Gracie is to being a, it, a utopia, fine. but um, we all had that sense of... It's fine. So uh, I come from an area that has floods very, very easily, like actual, like under, like the city is like six feet or seven feet underwater sort of flood. But um, I know earthquakes are honestly still more dangerous um, because earthquakes are a lot harder to predict, and when they happen, they tend to happen very, very fast, with, with, which, compared to the floods that I'm more used to, even, like, flash floods, it's still, like, there's still plenty of ample warning to be, like, stay in a building, don't get in your car, you know, like, stay inside, prepare for it sort of thing, so... Um, the situation I still feel like is a little different, even though, like, I do, like, my area does have, like, its own natural disasters. <laughs> with that in mind, uh, with the post-disaster, um, as Nick mentioned, we see both the sinking of not just the society, like, the after-effect after a natural disaster, but also the, f- the fabric of Japanese identity as well, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how you interpreted it, Nick, but at least for me, um, when I... Well, first of all, the first two episodes were excellent, by the way. I actually loved mm, those absolutely. two episodes. 100%. Uh, oh, gosh. The first episode actually... Like, I mean, James always like teases me for being a crybaby, which is true, but... I didn't expect to cry in the first episode, and I did. Aww. And then the second episode, I was just... When... Um, when the thing happened with the dad, I literally just stared at the computer screen for like a good few seconds. So, oh my um, gosh, uh, that was so well done. But um, I think um, for my takeaway, at least, is when these sort of post-apocalyptic things happen, like to have that sort of like not care, but like intense devotion slash potentially even obsession on like your nationality your identity sort of just like 
poofs into smoke because, like, literally an entire country slash everyone is in danger, including, like, maybe surrounding areas for all they know. I know they were mentioning other countries were getting earthquakes, too. The only difference was that they weren't sinking. So, um, so I think it's interesting how some characters still hold on to that desperately. Like, the older man they meet later in the store who keeps, like, getting angry at Go for speaking English, like, some English words, he always, like, he always, always gets angry at him for that, so, um. That's really fascinating. Which episode was that? I, I think it was it. probably four. Four. four oh, yeah. I stopped at three. Yeah, <laughs> every time he's oh. basically, like, he, he constantly iterates that. So, like, there's almost, like, half of the characters are part of the old guard, and then the other half is part of the new guard. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, like, once an actual, the actual earthquake happens, it's like, now survival is your own thing. It's like, what what are the values that you actually want to hold dear? Because it's like, you see that a little bit in the first episode, or was it the second episode, when they're finally, like, on the road and surviving. They see the old couple that's kind of on their own. Um, and Ayumi, uh, I, Ayumi, Ayumu? Uh, I think it's Ayumi. Yeah. Ayumi, okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so she sees them and it offers basically a water bottle to them. And there's that kind of awkward moment where she kind of wants it back, but doesn't actually, like, she's she's too nice. She doesn't want to, like, take the water away. You know, that's, like, the last <laughs> because she was just said. offering the water for them to drink. She wasn't actually expecting them to just take it, so. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if that was a normal situation, then maybe, like, you wouldn't have cared about just getting the water back. But because of the whole situation, everything else is like, okay, now it's every person for themselves. Um people start forming those tribalistic um, instincts. It's like people get down to their lowest instincts. Um, like even like the, especially with the grandfather character, um, I, we just mentioned him. Um, the guy with the convenience store. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't need yeah, to yeah. remember his name. <laughs> There's a lot of characters I don't remember their names. And that's that's for good reasons. But he was he was one of the good ones. Um, but again, he's like, he just, by day before earthquake, he's just running a convenience store. Why um, not? But the second um, everything goes to survival mode, it's like now at that point he's willing to, to kill children or anything else just to survive. You know, um, there's a lot of like really like like there's kind of those moments where he has to have that realization of like how low is he sinking just to protect his own base instincts. And there's moments what? where he actually feels shame because of that. But isn't it interesting how, like, he was so violent and, like, quick to hurt and stuff when, but also he's the one who's holding on to the fact, like, you're Japanese, you're Japanese, don't forget you're Japanese. Like, of all the things that you're going to hold on to during this, you're holding on to that. Like, I do, like, obviously he was written for a reason to have that sort of attitude, but I just think it's interesting because I absolutely see people in real life who would totally do this. They would, um they would like they would be doing a lot of uh, ethically uh, ethically questionable stuff to survive but then they'll but then they'll turn around and be like no this is wrong this is wrong you know sort of thing mm-hmm. which is so small compared to what they're already willing to do so yeah and even in, internally that's his own contradiction i would say um, he kind of he kind of is living a contradiction for the vast majority of the show um I feel like a lot of the themes that we're talking about, though, kind of retread some of the similar, like, survival tropes that we've seen in, like, The Walking Dead, though, are 
Are there other ideas we kind of want to talk about that, like, I guess Japan Sinks tries to differ from the same formula? Um, I mean, they did add, like, the cult, which is apparently all loving in, like, a community, <laughs> and it, they do drugs, uh, which I was very shocked on that they do drugs. So. <laughs> they do the marijuana. That's the ultimate drug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They put I like that one kind of took me everything, out. everything, by the way. Oh, like, they put gosh. it in their I mean, the marijuana part, I think, is interesting because out of all the hallucinatory drugs, you pick marijuana. But given the fact that Japan has extremely strict drug laws, including narcotics, and the fact that these marijuana is only take is only arriving into Japan through the hands of potentially a Yakuza, a former Yakuza member, kind of makes sense, almost, but also kind of not at the same time. Like, who else would be able to bring in these types of drugs, but at a very minimalistic low bar? But at the same time, this could also be, the the exposure of marijuana could also be trying to say that Japan has pretty much criminalized a lot of drugs um, that which is, is which common. Which is fascinating in the rest of the yeah. western world because in the western world there are many joints that are more than ready to sell weed or marijuana or other forms of hallucinatory drugs that are generally more recreational but japan is yeah, for... extremely strict you cannot have any of those drugs even if you bring something very common as super strong Tylenol or acetaminophen into japan you have to do paperwork to show that this is medication that you absolutely need and it's a pain to get them done mm-hmm. It's fascinating, too, for international listeners. Um, we do have quite a bit. In the United States, it's still illegal federally by, like, the federal government, but individual states have started um, allowing uh, recreational marijuana. So that's why people have access to that here in America, but also certain you know countries outside as well, too. But then Japan still has that hard stop line of just nothing. Yeah. No. And it kind of goes back to that Japanese identity well of like very you know disciplined and obedient and some of the society stuff that you talk about too and funnily enough because japan has such a hard push of no outsider drugs they make their own they have their own formulas they have their own companies which is why when people come to visit japan drugs are japanese drugs as a medication is highly coveted it's among one of the i guess gifts that people like to bring back from their travels in that, Japan. I did not know that. Yeah, so I've apparently it's twice. It's kind of oh. interesting. A lot of people do go back to buy. I actually I have a personal story regarding uh, Japanese medication, where it actually works a lot better than American uh, medication. I had a cold on the way back, and I took a Japanese medication on a flight, and it instantly cured it within hours. And wow. I have been having oh, that cold for three days into the end of the journey. It's funny because so it's I... very interesting. It's funny because a uh, slight side note slash personal thing, but um, I actually use um, I use a blend of East and West medication because I realize some of the smaller things, like you said, cold. I actually don't take U.S. medicine for that. I take um, my my home cultural medicine for it, and it works a lot better for me. So um. yeah, so it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. in that sense. But the fact that they have decided to import marijuana instead through the hands of a potentially Yakuza or very affluent businesswoman says quite a bit of how much they want to blur the lines between what is Japanese and what is not too. 
But also, I feel like it's a theme of the fact that in severe inf- in like severe situations, like people you would normally see as bad guys are suddenly good because, like, I mean, they it still got screwed up at the end because all they wanted was the money when like the Earth started to fall apart. But like before that, like the coal, like technically they were really happy there and. Like, I, cults are usually in some shape or form emotionally slash physically, sometimes both abusive. And, um, but at least from the episodes we've seen, there wasn't really anything that they were trying to abuse the followers on. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I totally understand that. Um, which is kind of an interesting point because at this point in the story, the characters are very haggard they're weary they don't know where to turn to and there's this seemingly utopian community that appears out of nowhere that says it's okay you don't have to worry about the world around you just come here eat some have consume some marijuana dance away and then you know everything will be fine and if worse comes to worse if you're still hung up by the fact that your dad has passed away from an explosion then you can just talk to one of our mediums and it will be over with it's kind of a it goes back to that very weird tribalistic idea of we need to band together in order to survive but it's also done in a way to help people kind of forget that there is a larger threat out there and to put a a better ease in their minds which is both good and bad as seen at the end of the uh, episode six but also to address the elephant in the room i know that despite us talking about the themes of the cult none of us really liked it so like i'm actually surprised we've been defending it for so long where i'm like like i think part of this discussion is like there's there's a really cool show in here you just have to go through like a couple layers of wrapping paper and other unpleasantries before you find what I think they were intending. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it takes a little bit of introspecting to actually be like, okay, maybe the cult served a purpose, okay, but, so, okay. but I'm still Even not happy. Even though I'm it. the one who said the cult served a purpose, I still didn't like it. So. Oh no. It's, it's <laughs> like, we can talk about the end of the cult arc, right? That's a, that's up to the episode six cutoff. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when when the when the kid gets crushed by the brick, like it's like the tone is like trying to tell you that this is a horrifying, shocking moment, and like the animation's horrifying. But like at that point, like I'm kind of just so done from all the other animation from the characters that I was just like not invested, and that it was almost like hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I I did feel like it was a bit hilarious in the fact that. The characters knew that there was a bigger threat outside. They were telling people like, yo, you should get out, you should evacuate, you should do something. And then, you know, the the medium kid that everyone reveres to just gets killed and everyone's like, oh my god! And you're just like, haha. Yeah, and, like, and you also was able to do this in other shows like with Devil Man, where he's like, here's some really, really sad, upsetting things. But like, he's there's enough build up to it where like, the gore is shocking, but... I feel like it's done in a way where you, the audience, can get into it. I just feel like there was a huge disconnect between like what Yuasa thought we were going to feel and what I was actually feeling during that time. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's that meme format. So yeah, I exactly. Ask, I have to ask, did, did maybe the animation have an effect on it? So at least for 5 and 6, the animation got really, really wonky, like enough to actually distract me. And I'm usually someone who doesn't really pay attention to like the more detailed technical stuff because I'm 
I care more about the dialogue and, like, the story. So, um, but, like, as someone like me who's a lot more focused on that, even I couldn't, like, I couldn't ignore, like, the wonky animation anymore, and it was essentially, like, taking me outside of the experience because of that. So is there a possibility that might have had an effect or something? Either that or it was a psychedelic effect. Because we're in a cult and everyone's taking marijuana, apparently, so everyone's dist- everyone looks really distorted. But I do agree with that. I definitely do agree that the animation did take a little bit of a turn in 5 and 6. And it doesn't feel like you can be completely invested. There are only very few moments where the characters' expressions and body language actually made a difference. Mm-hmm. I've been, I think I've been a part of the, the Misaki Yuasa cult for a while, so I kind of just assumed that any sort of wonkiness in animation was part of the style. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It is, you could lead it up to that, but it just feels yeah. unimpactful by the end of it. Mm-hmm. This is a different tangent. So you know how I was talking about how the there was kind of a disconnect in tone, and I'm kind of going back to like the fact that episode two feels so much weaker in the ending. Like the more I ended up watching of Japan Sinks 2020, like hmm. like okay. at the time. Why is so at the time, it's like I feel like it was so shocking up until a point where they kind of established that like anybody was could get killed for any reason in like like in more like just kind of snap your fingers and then they're just dead um like in the next episode when that one girl right as she got like any sort of hint of character development they're just like okay, okay she's dead we're moving on now <laughs> like i felt like it like the cult arc only served as helped it as a purpose to actually like process what had happened but by that point it was like already gone yeah, um, I agree. I definitely agree that they should have prolonged that girl's uh, life just a bit longer. Because while I do agree that the the suddenness of her death is a real factor in these type of apocalyptic survival worlds, because you don't know what happens. Nobody can see toxic gas that breaks out of pipes and fumes or whatever. But the fact that they had given her such a driving moment where she literally kicks some leechress guy's face after he transported them to a gas station really undermines a lot of everything as well and took me out of the moment because he was so cartoonish i was like that like that that's just weird (laughs) sorry continue (laughs) no no that's that's all i had to say but yeah you're right it's some of the the minor antagonists what do you call it deuter antagonists something like that no no no. deuter antagonists are like um shared protagonist roles Okay, my bad. Just antagonists. That minor bosses, mini bosses. <laughs> mini bosses. <laughs> there you go. Not they. They don't really drive the story at all. They're just kind of there, and it just feels like weird. Yeah. Mm. No, that's exactly what was happening. I guess so. I guess in a way, it's like these deaths, the multiple deaths, even after the dad's death, with which uh, to me actually still impacts me because of how cleverly the second episode sets it up you to Mm -hmm. bond Mm -hmm. with everyone in the group and not just the dad so um but i guess like the question becomes like some would argue not that i agree but i'm playing devil's advocate here some would argue that the way people just drop off dying is likely realistic in a post-apocalyptic world like what would you say to that 
I guess the overall point I was trying to make was that so in the con in the concept where he he was digging for yams and then hits an unexploded World War Two bomb, like I felt like in the concept of Japan Six Twenty Twenty, the survival show, there's a ton of things that I feel like could kill you, um, but like. I felt like in that moment, it almost, like, took me out because of, like, just not necessarily how sudden it was, but almost, like, how, like, just, like, it almost, like, felt like an anvil or a piano dropped on it. And, like, okay, he's dead suddenly. You're, like, wait, how did that, where did that come from? Like, it just, like, boom, gone. And I was, like, oh, no, this is, he's, oh, God, he's gone. The whole family's gone. Um, whereas, but I was still tense, like, the whole time in the tunnel. Like, I almost felt like going into the hole that like an earthquake was going to go off during that and like trap him or something or like mm -hmm. like i was already tense to that point but then it was just like i just felt like that particular um way of dying just felt kind of like too much like lucky chance for me to believe it and i actually oh, was looking up like some of the reasons because like there, there are areas where um you find unexploded mines um and I guess the main point I was trying to say was like with going back to the cult arc and this um, is that they're all actually kind of both linked to the same original cause of World War II. Like I think some of the historical reasons for like the really, um, really strict drug laws have to do with um, some of the scars from like war, either from China with the opium wars or with World War II, you ended up having a ton, ton of drugs coming into the country where it's, it's, that's like, like an invading force, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, in regards to the mines, um, this might be a little more foreign to us in the U.S., but apparently, um, unexploded mines are actually quite popular on location sites where wars were actually physically fought. So, I know for a fact in Europe, there's still hundreds of undiscovered, like, unexploded mines buried underneath. A lot of them in the countryside, too. There's actually a whole thread of, um, where Europeans say, like, or they, they'll, like, post news articles of, this mine got accidentally triggered and blew up a mailbox, or this mine got accidentally triggered and unfortunately got two sheep, like, um, became victims of it and stuff like that. And so, um, I almost think, I actually don't think it's too unbelievable since without a doubt Japan was actually like a physical battleground site and um, before the choice of the atomic bomb, in fact, a lot of um, the plan was for the U.S. and the Allies to invade inland even further to like the, the bigger islands. So, um, so maybe it's just my historical buff that, that makes that thinks it's not so unrealistic because of that fact, especially with the fact that in Europe today, there's like hundreds of undetonated mines buried underneath, which is scary, but it's true. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Agnes? Part of me feels like it's a yes, that's possible, but also wait, is that <laughs> because for most, for most of when I was learning Japanese history in college, a lot of it was focused on the Pacific Islands where most of the fighting was taking place. And you're right, Gracie, that the U.S. and their allies had planned to physically invade Japan. And they actually dropped a lot of carpet bombs and a lot of flames into Tokyo in the early days of the war. 
But in terms of actual landmines, I'm not entirely sure, especially when it's in Tokyo. Mm. I'm not entirely sure if that's relevant. I can understand it if it was on the Pacific Islands where they had tried to wrestle control from the Japanese Empire. Make no mistake. But Tokyo, I'm not sure if they can plant landmines that early. Unless this these landmines were actually the doing of the Japanese government to protect their city or at least blow up Westerners if they invade Tokyo. But I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate or not. I would have to read something to figure it out. Okay, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I would, like, we definitely have to do more research on this because because um, I am extrapolating here based on what I know is, like, uh, an actual case in Europe, which... Um, is, oh, no, for sure. Which yeah. is very yeah. interesting, especially the one about the two poor sheep that got pulled into the landmine. <laughs> exploding. Oh, wait, that's so, real? I yeah. thought you were joking. Huh? No, I thought you were I'm, joking. I'm, no, Make an example. No, oh. no I'm fact, pretty sure they still exist. Yeah, in fact, a lot of your... No, 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 no. The mines I do, but the sheep, I thought that was a joke. No, no, no. Like, actually, like, two poor sheep got... Uh, yeah, got caught in that unexploded, but now exploded landmine that was buried in the countryside. Oh, dear. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of scary Oof. knowing that basically they're walking over a bunch of undetonated weapons, essentially. <laughs> so, um, okay, but yeah, I guess, like, I'm the reason why, like, for me is that I'm extrapolating from. The fact that this is what's going on in Europe, and so, and with the fact that Japan probably knew that mainland or inland is definitely going to get attacked if the Allies continued to advance, but, um, but yeah, that's not based on actual research of landmines within Japan, to be specific. Um, we got off on a weird tangent, sorry, that was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but... I think the deaths, yeah, I don't know. I still, like, I still like the father's deaths because of how it was set up, but I definitely started to just care less and less after, like, especially with the cult, honestly. Like, I I did not care if those people died, which I know sounds terrible, but... (laughs) You you didn't think that Daniel's comedy was was that great? Uh, I hated him! (laughs) The light, the light in the really dark tunnel. Oh, God. I hated oh, yeah. that guy. Um, well, I hope you got your with wish. That... Uh, I mean, okay, I'm with not that, mind... that me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you insinuate I'm like that? Um, with that in mind... The show definitely dives into a lot of themes, even though we made a tangent onto the explosions. But it kind of that's but that's one of the I think kind of the problems we've experienced with this show, where the execution was definitely wonky, which you know gets you thinking, and especially for people like ourselves who do like a lot, of, you know, we love history, we love knowing about you know X Y Z, and then when you throw in this random bomb and then this guy dies, you're just kind of like, wait, is that even possible? And yet the show dives into a lot of very key topics that you don't really experience, um, albeit a half, you know, half Filipino, half Japanese uh, cast is, is quite rare in anime. But even then, it definitely seems like the sentiment is it's the execution is just kind of meh. It's just, I feel Does like if they right? wanted to do, like if they really wanted to harp on the theme of 
you know, cultures dying when a physical location dies, or a theme of bad guys tend to can actually be good guys in a post-apocalyptic situation, that they really needed to flesh out the characters and the pacing better. Um, because I, cause it's, yeah, at least for me, the execution, the biggest problem is a lot of the characters, aside from, like, the main ones, and I'm not including Kite, by the way, because that's a whole other can of <laughs> but, um, but, like, all the other characters, aside from main characters, just feel very flat, in my opinion, and very um, one-dimensional. And so, um, and it makes it a lot harder for me to care about it, which in turn makes me harder to care about the story, which in turn makes it harder for me to care about um, the themes. It's like a whole dominoes effect, essentially. Yeah, it, it could have been you mentioned so much it, Nick better. Too, right? it's, it's like, I like, I like Yuasa, I love all of his shows, but this is like, I feel like this is overall the weakest one he's done, but I genuinely enjoyed the themes that he presented um there's a lot of ideas he does um but like ugh. there's a couple things that i feel like it kind of becomes an unintentional comedy when you look at it like what the second they bring out the camera you're just like oh no it's the goosebumps camera someone's gonna die now <laughs> like you're already <laughs> mentally prepared So I guess yeah, like, I definitely... that's... do you like the th- so you said you like the themes, but are wait so are you basically in the same boat in that like you like the themes but you don't like the execution? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's okay. that's pretty much it. <laughs> what about you, Agnes? I definitely feel the same way. The things that they introduce are interesting, but the way that they get around it is confusing and it doesn't make a lot of sense it feels like it's one of those shows where they just throw in a bunch of themes and you almost feel like you need to sit through it and extrapolate everything to get a deeper meaning but as you continue to go through and through you get more and more confused there's a there's a scientific law for that i think somewhere where it's like the deeper you go like the more confused you get yes I know what you're talking about. And that's me with, with anime. Like, I think I understand. <laughs> I'm an expert. But... Yeah. And then you ask me, and I'm like, it's complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about this show. Uh, it's enjoyable to watch if you're sitting down, like, having a popcorn. But it's not going to evoke that many feelings or deliver as much of an emotional impact. I also agree with Nico in that I think this is definitely his weakest work. Um, like, I don't, like, mm-hmm. I don't think... Obviously, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken is very, very different story-wise and atmosphere-wise, so um, that's not exactly a good comparison, but, like, I think comparing it to Devilman Crybaby, it's, yeah, it's just, I don't know why, it's just, it seems so different in regards to quality and effect, and it's, like, it's clear he knows how to execute well, so it's just he wasn't able to execute it well for this particular series it could just be overall the story itself from the novels is not exactly tight um based on what i've seen like azokin the adaptation for it is very very tight uh there are no holes or there's no weird concepts that are popping at the seams it makes you question by the end of the series but any time within Japan Sings 2020, you're constantly asking yourself questions, and they're not good questions in regards to the story and the characters themselves. 
So maybe Yuasa is trying to do his best work with Japan since 2020, but that's all he can do. That's really interesting, though, considering the novel is critically acclaimed in Japan. Right. So I don't know what's the extent of actually adapting the novel to its fullest potential. So and yeah, that's it. That's all I have to say, honestly, <laughs> because there's so many there's so many unknown factors that we can sit here and we can talk for like I don't know another three hours trying to extrapolate things. But really, at the end of the day, we won't get anywhere. We'll literally just be stuck at square one. That is very true. As an FYI, the synopsis for the book is quite different. I'll read it out loud, okay. out loud real quick from an Amazon quote: "A solid, a solitary fishing boat anchors for the night by a small island in the south of Japan. The next morning, the fishermen find themselves in the middle of an empty ocean, uh, empty sea. Overnight, the island has vanished without a trace. The Japanese Weather Service sends a vessel to investigate. They find convincing evidence of horrifying geological change." Thrust into existence millions of years ago, when a strong shift in the underlying plates tore it away from the Asian mainland, the Japanese archipelago has been moving inexorably, inexorably, like very quickly, uh, toward an unseen force in the Japanese in the Japan Trench, and is set on a collision course that threatens to put the economic superpower under literally. So it's wow, that is very different. Essentially. <laughs> It's almost like it's from the uh, perspective of the science guy the whole time or something. Mm-hmm. Like he's like oh, the closest yeah. anchor, yeah. I guess, to that material. Which science guy? In in the, it's in the, the guy animation? Who, the guy who keeps saying, like, Japan Japan is going to sink in the future. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, keep talking. <laughs> you crazy guy. Oh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You the know, crazy I've guy. I've yeah. seen him for, like, two episodes, and he's, like, mute, so... Um, but yeah, I I know which guy you're talking about. Oh. He just blinks in Morse code. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh that's interesting. That's, that's that where we put really blinks in Morse code. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um. So that so there's definitely a lot of questions too. So, it and and also, most works. Um. Yuasa has in the past were based off some kind of story, right? Other than Ride Your Wave, I believe Ride Your Wave was an original, if I recall. Um, yes, it is an original. So, who knows? Like, it, it definitely poses some questions, and I do kind of want to read the book now just to see where this direction went and where the anime goes. You should actually, you should read that, the book, and then we can tell you what happens in the anime, and then you do a beautiful. compare. We can compare notes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. With that in mind, though, uh, uh, Gracie, now that you are around episode six, will you continue to the end, even though it's been distracting and some of the flaws of the anime so far? Um, so there's an easy answer to this, which is yes, because I'm a masochist and I have to finish every single anime I start, even though right. I hate them. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but um, I think, well, I don't know because this is just who I am. But at the same time, it's not like I'm not going to continue, honestly, because uh, I still think, like, Haruo is um, hiding something that I just can't tell right now. And don't spoil it to me, you two. But, um, mm-hmm. and then I, I do want to see them escape or how they escape. I, I'm sure they will escape, but it's just like, I just want to see how they get there. And maybe Kite will die along the way somehow. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I just, I really dislike that character because he knows everything and he flew in on like, like random motors and he's like this influencer who like knows how to like, 
who knows morphine addiction can tell marijuana was in food and then knows about the poison gas and et cetera. Like literally he's a walking encyclopedia and while looking like attractive at it, I'm like, this literally makes no sense. So, um, do, do you think he has a reason to be in Japan? Like coming all the way from Estonia? He seems, he seems I, perfect though. I don't, I don't know, honestly. I sure hope he does, because right now he's just the perfect character that I desperately want, like, to show some flaw, because I'm like, he literally does everything and knows everything, and how the heck would he know how arrows fly? Like, now apparently you know how to do archery, too, so it's like, um, yeah. Guys, I just want some complexities. That's all I want. <laughs> and um, I, I'm willing to continue to see if I do get that complexity. So, <laughs> Okay, so complexity. I got a great show for you. Kimonozume, also created by Masaki Iwasa. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good complex show. Has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. Uh, but the science <laughs> Saru monkey comes from this show as the, the mascot character. Oh, interesting. Fantastic. <laughs> Go watch uh, Kimono I don't know Zoom where you can watch it legally, but please watch it legally. At this point, I don't even know. With that in mind, um, I'm going to be wrapping up our Japan Sings 2020 thoughts. Uh, Nick and Agnes, final comments about the show? I just hope they have a decent ending. That's it. What episode are you on right now as of this uh, podcast? Uh, I'm pretty much like around seven-ish. Uh, so I'm about to finish up. I can probably binge it in the next day or two. I just hope for some kind of salvation at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. And Nick, you've completed it, correct? Yeah, I finished it, which is why I always have that those weird thoughts of thinking about it, considering how it was supposed to lead up to the Olympics. Um and the other thing is the fact that it's like it's supposed to lead up to the Olympics and also is essentially like Yuasa's last show for like the foreseeable future. There's a lot of bittersweetness to he, it. There is, but also he is still working on this other movie too, so it's not his final show, it's an FYI. Excellent. He is still the director for um Ino Inuo, which is a movie, and we don't know too much about it. I think it's based off uh I want to say it's based on the book, but I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, it will be coming into North America by G-Kids, so we'll see. And that, w- that is directed by Masaki Wasa. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, that's all for Japan Six 2020. Again, it is available on Netflix worldwide. Um, all episodes are out, so enjoy at your leisure. I think the general consensus here with the show is great themes, lots of fantastic topics, um, wide range of characters, but also execution could have been improved upon and we definitely have a lot of our opinions about that um but i still feel like this is one of the shows you should definitely check out just because it touches some very fascinating themes and it's one that we haven't seen in a while in terms of anime um and go watch uh Kiz- i'm sorry how to pronounce it again Kizumone. kimono zume it, it's thank yeah. you kimono zume uh which is also directed by masaki wasa and animated by madhouse so there's that from what 2006 2007 i already forgot yeah, what it's, it's it's one of his more stylish ones i think 2006 wait the monkey is called saru right the monkey uh, saru right let me double check the name yeah is the monkey called saru because like it is if you and here's the thing it is yeah it is yeah, yeah the monkey is saru 
Look at the Science Sorrow logo. I know the podcast people can't see, but you see that monkey too. Yep. Anyways, I'll leave it at that. Uh, that's all for uh, this week's Anime Trending Podcast for Japan Sinks 2020. And until next time, thank you very much. I'm Noobles. Gracie? Oh, yes. I didn't know I was supposed to go next. Um, yes, thank you. And uh, this is Gracie. Oh, thank you. This is Nico. It's been a lot of fun. And this is Agnes signing out. Fantastic. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Goodbye.